0: Hello everyone, this is the Audience Explorer, a podcast for you as a founder or creator who wants to develop an audience for your product or service. I'm Matthias Bohlen. Hello, everyone. Another episode of the Audience Explorer is on the way. Uh, today, I'm pretty excited to have Justin Jackson here from the well-known uh, podcast hosting service Transistor.fm, which is one of my favorites because I host my podcast there, too. Um, hi, Justin. Nice to meet you today.
1: Yeah, it's good to be here. And, and thanks for using Transistor. It's always nice to meet folks that are actually that are using the product.
0: Yeah, and I'm pretty excited to hear more about your backstory, how how you even got started to to get the idea to, um, for a podcast hosting service, but because I think there were some even in those days, and um, so um, let's get started with the question: How did you how did you get the idea for Transistor?
1: Uh, so that's a pretty challenging question to answer because there's a lot of layers that led up to. Starting transistor. Uh-huh. Uh, some, sometimes people go, Well, where'd you get the idea? And it's like, Well, I mean, the idea was it, it's just you, you've got to go back through history. So uh, I've been podcasting since 2012. Uh-huh. So that's part of the idea. You know, I was in the ecosystem, I was uh, a participant. Mm-hmm. And then in 2014, I met John Buddha, who's my co founder. He was building another podcasting service at the time and asked me if I wanted to use it. And I said, yes. And him and I collaborated on some things over the years. Mm -hmm. And then in uh, 2017, like late 2017, he said he wanted to build another podcasting service. And at the time, things had changed in podcasting. Things had continued to evolve. Mm -hmm. And there were some parts of it that were ascendant that I thought would make it a good business. So a lot more media attention, right? Like the New York Times was doing an op-ed on podcasting every week. Uh We had Serial, which was a big podcasting hit. So a lot more people were aware of podcasting. It started to pass the coffee shop test, which is- What's that? (laughs) You're in line ordering coffee. And what do you hear people talking about? Oh, I and see. Hmm. For a long time, it was you know what Netflix shows you watching, uh, what apps do you have on your phone? Yeah. And then eventually, I started hearing real normal people just ordering their coffee, talking about podcasts they were listening to. So it it was clear that we were we were getting into a zone where this had started off as kind of this niche thing. Um, you know, a lot of podcasting was just tech nerds right it was yeah, like uh, this, uh leo laporte and sexual. dignation all those old, all those shows for tech enthusiasts uh five by five and uh once i started hearing normal people talk about it it was like breaking into the public consciousness uh-huh. i thought okay i think a lot more people are going to be getting into this and so uh all of those things combined uh plus i mean tons of other factors, ideas have their the the seed of ideas starts usually way way back in your life you you can go back decades and see how you know my dad always listened to talk radio in the truck when we were Uh, driving around rural alberta and uh, i started to love talk radio and there was times you know once i started driving myself i would turn off the radio and pretend that i was the interviewer and you know, I was interviewing the guest and, you know, I, Agreed. The, so the, the it, it's idea, sometimes you'll read like the short version, like the short version of Transistor is, you know, John and Justin decided to build a podcast hosting place and they did it. And then, you know, the next thing, you know, it's going and it's a, it's a business, but there's in my personal life stack, you can go back multiple layers and see where the roots of the idea came from and same with john in his life you can go back and Mm -hmm, see where the mm -hmm. roots of the you know thing he was he worked for cards against humanity for a long time they had like three podcast studios in their office tons of local chicago podcasts got started there uh so all of this you know soup kind of forms. yeah, yeah it all adds up that's right it's kind of like, yeah, it's like an equation. That's another good metaphor for it.
0: Interesting. It's kind of like like Steve Jobs said about the dots, that you can connect uh, only after the fact, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I've heard other people say it's like, what do they say? It's like building a platform, uh, but it's like a layer of paint, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you have a layer of paint and then, but the layer of paint eventually adds up. So it. It's actually boosting you up pretty high, you know? Um, so, I, I, yeah, I'm still working on the metaphors because I, it, I, I'm actually pretty passionate about helping people figure this out. Yeah, right. Because I can I remember, remember what the, it was... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry.
0: I, I remember the old days when I was uh, uh, on a WordPress uh, website uh, and with a podcast hosting plugin and the mm-hmm. MP3 files were on the server and the RSS feed was generated by the plugin. Yeah. And it was a real big mess. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> I did that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- there's so many movements in society. It's interesting because, you know, even back in 2012, there was a lot of DIY people. A lot of folks were just using a WordPress plugin. And, you know, I was like, I started with a WordPress plugin and then I eventually started hosting the media myself on AWS. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that what's interesting now is there's been a shift in, uh, I think people are still DIY, but they're willing to spend money to... Make things easier and simpler for themselves. Right. So, you know, a decade ago, folks would have been like $19 a month for podcast hosting. Nah, I'll just do it myself. Yeah. But these days, there's a growing number of people who are like, no, you know what? I'm just going to pay for someone else to do that. And then I'm going to focus on doing the other parts of it. Yeah.
0: Real good content. Right.
1: Yes. And so, I, the, but, you know, if, if, the podcast hosting companies that existed back then, it was slow. It was slow growing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was not um, even today. It's not a, it's not a, an incredibly fast growing category. And it the ceiling for podcast hosting is definitely lower than other categories, meaning that the ceiling of potential,
0: uh, the the potential upside. Yeah. The
1: potential upside. Yeah. So, uh but, it's definitely, there's definitely more folks willing to pay today than there was a decade ago. And I'm seeing this in a lot of categories. You see this in blogging platforms, people are willing to pay. Uh, You see this in definitely email newsletters, people are willing to pay. People are willing to pay to subscribe to an email newsletter, which that idea has been around for uh, definitely over a decade. I remember Kevin Rose of uh, Dig had a paid newsletter that he was experimenting with mm-hmm. uh, a decade ago. And it never really took off back then. But now, you know, society has moved, the market has moved, and now people are willing to pay for newsletters. It's,
0: yeah, it's an you know, interesting phenomenon. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you got to kind of follow some, you got to follow the waves, you know, uh, what might have been a good idea 10 years ago, but didn't have the market could be a good idea today, and the market is actually there. The market's ready for it. Or even better, the market is actively seeking it. They want it.
2: Yeah, right.
1: Um, or it's become more acceptable. It's become more the norm. Uh, in the same way that podcast listening was not the norm 10 years ago, but now for over 50% of you know, uh, North America anyway, podcast listening is the norm. So the shift That's happened. Right. It, it takes time but sometimes the market will shift and then that idea that was good but didn't have buyers now has buyers
0: that, that's cool. really interesting i i can see this uh, too in in several places uh, people were not uh, paying they were uh, they were doing do-it-yourself stuff until they realized at least it was for, for me like this until i realized um how much work it is to keep something simply going Mm-hmm. Um, to The initial DIY is simple. You simply yes. do it, you write some code, you put it on a server and it runs. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the work starts, right? Monitoring yeah. that stuff and keeping it working. And what if, what if an outage is there? What if uh, you need redundancy and so on? All mm-hmm. this kind of stuff that's not so easy to solve. Yeah. Um, and that's the real work, I think. It's not the initial thing getting getting the initial functionality. That's not the problem.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is why there's probably still a huge opportunity to disrupt WordPress because, you know, WordPress used to be the easiest way to build a website Yeah, and have a blog. But if you've ever had a WordPress site, you know, it's a lot of maintenance, even today, with all the improvements they've made. Plugins constantly need to be updated. You know, there's always updates to WordPress itself. Sometimes WordPress, even if you have automatic updates turned on, yeah. those can break things in your theme. And uh, there's lots of conflicts between plugins. Some plugins will simply stop working. So there's an opportunity there for folks who just want something simple. Yeah. And are willing to pay for it to be dead simple. Um, And then there's other opportunities that I think, you know, again, the market moves. So even people just getting older is an interesting market evolution. And I think about this because I've just come into my forties and my daughter has just finished her first year university. So it's like, I'm, You know, getting into my fourth decade and my daughter is just on the verge of her second, of
3: finishing her second. Yeah. And you know, for me, one of the things I started thinking about is
1: uh well my mortality. Like what happens when I die? And what happens to my WordPress site when I die? (laughs) You know? And it's just it's kind of a morbid and ridiculous thought, like in some ways, who cares? But you know, I just had this thought of like, you know, my mom has all these old letters from her relatives that are on paper that she right. can still go through. And I thought, okay, what, how can I kind of increase the odds that my words, there's an archive of them somewhere? And for me, it meant, well, I want this all in source control on GitHub. GitHub will probably outlast me. And, uh, if I had all of my content in a GitHub repo, that's public. I don't care if it's public. Um, that, that's one way for my words to live on. Now, how can I come up with a publishing system that will work for that? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that led me to, you know, look for static, static hosting that could use, you know, Markdown. And, you know, I, I did a yeah. big search on that and eventually yeah. switched to uh static but the part of the kernel of that was me just getting older
2: interesting, and
1: realizing, interesting. you know, I wanted to save my writing for the future. Even though, <laughs> in truth, like I'm sure my kids won't care, but <laughs> just just so it's there, just in case, you know, just in case they want to read some old business articles from <laughs> from 2021. That's
0: an- that's an interesting phenomenon. You you start quite early thinking about this. I'm I'm in my 60s now. Yeah. And uh, for me it's it's starting to become normal <laughs> to think mm-hmm. about these things. Mm-hmm. I recently came across a start what is was it a startup or already a, an established company, I don't know. They organize um, what happens after your death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they make a very weird offer from my point of view. Um, they offer to store all your passwords, all your connections, all your everything, so mm-hmm. that your spouse or significant other or whoever uh, can can later after you die, they can access uh, what you had. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. have to give the stuff while you're still alive. And I'm really, mm-hmm. uh, te- I was terrified. What? I will yeah. should <laughs> give them my passwords? <laughs> Are they
1: serious? (laughs) But you can see that there would be demand for that. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, honestly, there's probably a lot more people thinking about mortality just because of COVID.
3: And I think this is one of the beauties of building a business or even building an audience around a topic is
1: being able to address things that people think about and worry about. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I, truthfully, like if I die and you never know, right? I could die tomorrow. I could die in 10 years, whatever, but it's going to be a mess for my wife, yeah. like my business stuff. And like, I, <laughs> how, how is she going to w- walk through all of that? Yeah. Um, and so I think about it, it's stressful for me to think, you know, if I did die, she would have to have all that stress in addition to me being dead maybe she'd be relieved, <laughs> but uh-huh. you know, giving her the, that, all that stress, I think, you know, makes me feel bad. And so, um,
3: by the way, like, I think there's a, a category for a newsletter and a, building an audience all around
1: thinking about stuff around your death. So, you know, are you thinking about, are you are you thinking about your death or worried about what happens after you die or whatever? I think there would be a there's a great newsletter opportunity there, and you know every week or every month you could just write an update and say okay, one thing you should think about is your will. When's the last time you have you updated your will? I uh, you don't have one. Okay, well here's three steps to getting a will, and just go through it. And here it is for you know North America, for Europe, for whatever. That's, I would probably subscribe to that because it's on my mind. <laughs> Interesting. And if someone can make it easy, if someone can reduce my anxiety, then there's, a, um, there's an opportunity there. And uh, the other thing I like about it is it's not a category that a lot of people are going after, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I'm, I'm absolutely so, sure that, that not many people would go
1: after that. But that's what you need to. That's what you need to do, right? There's you got to look for opportunities where there is a clear movement already, right? There's already people thinking about it. There's already people who might get a moment of panic in a day, going, "Oh my god!" Like, how would anyone ever unravel any of this if I was gone? And um those opportunities, I think, the the ones that, you know, maybe people aren't thinking about, there's certain, uh, especially for audience building, there's certain topics that everybody goes after, you know? Yeah. Like
0: marketing, for example, list marketing, building or something. Productivity like that. is a big one, yeah. you know,
1: and, uh, you know, tech tips and all those things. Yeah. And there's still opportunities in all of those. Uh, the nice thing is they are big categories with you know, they're always going to have built in demand, but there are also these, these more, um, there's some topics that just don't get talked about as much. And, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there and you've kind of got built in marketing, especially if you had a death newsletter, like, (laughs) Uh, you know, this would
0: be so crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, death wish. I think it should be called death wish. <laughs> oh,
0: let's get, stop there, Justin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you could get it sponsored by like a really uh, hardcore heavy metal band.
0: Yeah, or f- by a funeral service. Or <laughs>
1: <laughs> Matthias, this is why people tune in. They want to hear the crazy ideas, and uh this is a this is a out there idea. Oh wow <laughs> <laughs>
0: Never thought about that. Right. Uh, speaking of audiences, mm-hmm. uh, let's get back to the to your transistor audience. Well, yes. How do you call them, or How do do they call themselves? What do they call themselves? Uh, who people who buy the, the transistor service?
3: Oh, I mean that's interesting. I mean, generally they would be podcasters, but the way I would define them is just people who want podcasting.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And the reason I would define it that way, I think this is actually a mistake a lot of people make, is they go, well, I'm going to build something for truck drivers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to build something for uh, personal trainers.
3: And I mean, those are both types of audience. But especially with products, uh, I think there's a danger in getting too narrow. So if I said
1: Transistor is only for podcasters, I'll bet there's actually, it could even be up to 25, 30% of our customers would say, well, that doesn't define me. I'm, oh, interesting. I, I don't call myself a podcaster. I'm a PR person. I'm a marketing professional. Uh-huh. I'm a entertainer. I'm a creator.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there's, uh, I'm a CEO. So... If we said, actually, when Transistor started, you know, we were trying to follow this advice of you got to focus on a niche, and so we said, well, Transistor is for brands and businesses that want a podcast, and we quickly learned that, and and we did that actually because uh, we saw it work for WP Engine, right? Mm-hmm. WP Engine mm-hmm. is WordPress hosting for brands and businesses,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but we quickly discovered that a lot of people who wanted to sign up and were signing up didn't feel like that label described them. And I have DMs from people saying, uh, I signed up anyway, but just so you know." And these were people who are my personal audience, so I had an advantage because they felt like they could reach out to me, you know, personally. They said, "You know, I signed up, but your homepage didn't speak to me at all. It felt like it was excluding me." Uh-huh. And so, people who want a podcast and this actually, you know, how do people find Transistor? Most of them find Transistor by uh, typing in uh, "how to start a podcast," "best podcast hosting," "okay," "podcast hosting for my podcast," "how do I upload my podcast to Apple." They are looking to do something. People who want to start a podcast or mm-hmm. people who want to podcast uh, is the is the market. That's the audience. Mm. Um, and so to reach them, I'm speaking mostly about what they want, not who they are or who I guess they might be.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: I'm saying, I, I know who you are. You want, uh, to get a microphone. You want to plug it in to a computer. You want to record it. And then you want it on Spotify and Apple and Google podcasts and overcast, and you want to be able to share it with your colleagues. That's what you want, Right. It doesn't right, matter right. if you're a truck driver, or a physiotherapist, or uh, you know, uh, a winemaker.
0: Yeah, it could be anybody. It could be anybody, could be anybody, who, anybody. yeah uh, wants to teach something. For example, they could be teachers, uh, wh- whatever. Right.
1: That's right. That's right. And you know, I tried some of this because I I had
3: a course called Marketing for Developers. Mm-hmm. And I knew my, part of my some of
1: my instincts were right. I mean, I knew that if I just had a general marketing course, it would be difficult to stand out from the crowd. I also knew software developers was this big category and that software developers have a lot of disposable income. They're also um, often incentivized to learn new things. Mm-hmm. They pay for courses. I knew that. And so, you know, I said, okay, well, let me, and I I liked working with software developers. So, uh, and I'm fairly technical myself. So I felt like okay, this is a good overlap. But
3: the challenge there is, you know, I I narrowed my audience, and, um, I was saying you know this is marketing for developers,
1: but really I'm there's a few challenges, <laughs> especially compared to something like. You know, refactoring your PHP. That's for developers, but it's for developers who want to refactor their PHP better, right? That yeah. It's actually yeah. you're targeting people who want to do something. Um, and it just ha- so happens that there are a lot of PHP developers in the world who all want to refactor their code, right? That's a big yeah. group. Yeah. But for marketing for developers, it was like, sure, there's lots of developers in the world. But how many of them are in a p- place where they want to learn marketing? Well, that's a much smaller group. And uh, of that group, you know, how many of them are actually in a place where they need to know it right now? Is this just like something they're interested in? Or do they actually have a company? It's even a smaller group. And the group just got much, much smaller really quick. Right. And uh, you know it did fine. It's 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 made you know it it paid my bills for a long time, but um, compared to (laughs) a big group of people who are in motion, who just want to do, they want to accomplish the same thing, or they uh, just have the same problem, or they have the same desire, or whatever. That's better. And sometimes that might look like. Oh, oh, this is just software developers that want to do that. And thankfully, that's a big group and you know, they have disposable income and perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes that looks like, no, this product could be used by all sorts of folks in all sorts of situations. And what's important is to ask yourself the question, is there a large group of people who are moving in this direction? regardless of their demographics, regardless of, you know, their career or however they would define themselves. Is there a large group of people moving in this direction already in motion? And if there is, that's the important piece. Uh, Not as much, you know, what their individual characteristics might be.
0: This is interesting because almost everybody in marketing tells you otherwise right they they tell you uh, you must niche down because then your your language it, it becomes easier to speak to your audience uh, mm-hmm. if you use uh, your audience for example uses a certain language uh, mm-hmm. then you can uh, start using the same words and it becomes mm-hmm. everything becomes easier and so on and so on um, so I'm asking myself, when you say, uh, let's look at what people do, what set them in motion, what, uh, what is the common thing, regardless of their background, then how do you speak to such an audience because they might be diverse?
1: Yeah, because it's all around what they're, the, 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 the best frame of mind is to think about what are people searching for? Mm-hmm. Don't think about, you know, who do I want to reach? It's what are people searching for? And so, if there's a lot, if there's a sizable group of people searching for simple website builder, mm-hmm. uh, that's what you're trying to target. You're tra- you're targeting the desire. You're targeting um, what's at the root of their demand. You're targeting the 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 action, the outcome, the you know what they want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So, you know, card. Um, C-A-R-R-D. Yeah, the uh, landing page builder. Yeah. yeah, I mean, AJ has probably millions of customers and uh, they are completely diverse. If he had on card, like this is only for uh, dentists' offices, <laughs> you know, a simple <laughs> yeah. page builder for dentist offices, sure, he, he could really narrow down his language and speak just to dentists. But it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense, no. People are searching for Sure, there's some dentists that are looking for a simple web page builder, but there's just a lot of other people searching for a simple web page builder. Right. What you're trying to target is the people who are looking for that thing. I'm looking for a simple web page builder that, you know, allows me to write in markdown and is not too expensive. And I can get going right away and I can connect a custom domain to. They're looking for the outcome. They're looking for something that's going to help them do that thing that they woke up in the morning wanting to do.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it doesn't matter if they're a skateboarder, a snowboarder, a surfer, a roller skater. (laughs) Like, yes, you could definitely narrow your language down. But in most cases, I actually think it doesn't matter.
0: Uh It doesn't matter so much, right?
1: It doesn't matter as much. And there's examples of, uh, there's uh, counter examples of, of folks who have gone after very niche, nichely defined groups, you know, narrowly defined groups. And that can that can also work if their group is sizable enough and if they're all moving in one direction, um, you know, they're all motivated to go in a certain direction right? and you can help them you know, with whatever that is. Right. But in a lot of cases, the there's actually just a lot of diverse people in motion in the same direction, who can't be uh, quantified by their demographics,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and it's okay for you to target the action they're trying to take as opposed to the you know uh, their identity. However, you want to slice it, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: the the um, the label they will put on themselves, right?
1: That that's right. Yeah, yeah, and you know, even things like you could take something like an API, Mm -hmm. which you would think, okay, there's if anything is solely for software developers, it's an API. But I disagree. I actually have a strong hypothesis that a major consumer of APIs are not developers at all, but business people, marketers, Marketers, product managers, project managers. And it was this insight that was at the root of Zapier becoming such a big company was, you know, people like me who were not software developers, but wanted to consume APIs and do stuff with them. And, uh, that insight of, oh wait, APIs aren't just for software developers. They're actually for everybody because they're just useful tools. So how, instead of saying APIs are only for software developers, or this is a great API for your engineering team, why not just say, this is a great API and make it accessible so everybody can use it.
2: Absolutely. Don't
1: artificially limit the potential. Don't artificially limit, uh, the audience, the audience could be bigger than you think, and um, I think artificially limiting it, especially before you know, like sometimes at, at the beginning, you just don't know enough. You haven't met mm-hmm. enough people. Mm-hmm. You don't. Mm-hmm. You haven't run into enough use cases to know for sure who you should be targeting. And the idea that it makes it easier to write marketing copy and all these things could be true, but so much of marketing is not just finding a little watering hole where the same kind of people hang out and then marketing your product. Uh, in the modern age, most marketing is SEO. It's, it's um, optimizing for search intent. What are people searching for mm-hmm. and how can I help them find my thing uh, related to what they're searching for? It's it, the, 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 idea that we're always going to be able to go and find the dentists association of North America and go to the trade show and then market our thing, you know, again, some people do that, but it's not, it's, it's actually quite limiting in practice.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of your first audience, how, how did you meet them at all? How did you get your first uh, people who signed up and people who paid for your
1: service? For Transistor, it started with my personal audience and my personal network mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of John's personal network.
0: Uh, because you, you were both into, already into podcasting, right?
1: We were already in podcasting, but we'd also just had decades of, you know, for me, I'd been podcasting and blogging and tweeting since, you know, 2008. Uh-huh. Um and had gradually built up uh, a little personal following. And uh, that was helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's also just our professional contacts and the folks we'd met at conferences, the relationships we'd built over the years on the internet, and those were very helpful as well. So of our initial... Uh, you know, of our first hundred customers, I would say you know maybe seventy-five came from my personal audience and network, and then maybe twenty-five came from John's network in Chicago. And then um, it's hard to tell how much of our how many of our customers come from our personal connections. Now we have about five thousand customers, and. If I had to guess, I would say maybe on the high side, it's a thousand people that knew know who we are. Um, so maybe one fifth of our customers uh-huh. Uh-huh. know who we are. So either our personal network or personal audience. Um, but uh, most people find us these days from search intent. They're looking for podcast hosting. Uh, okay they're okay. looking how to start a podcast um yeah so most of it's through seo and affiliates these days
0: interesting i i found you through through word of mouth from the indie hacking community i yeah. realized that many from from that uh community were using your service and i thought oh i want to start a podcast which service should i use yeah. And then I went to your homepage and I saw uh, the people from Basecamp are uh, using your service and and I thought, oh, what's good enough for Basecamp can can be good enough for me. So then I yes. signed up. Right.
1: Yeah. And it. I mean, again, that's actually a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. So the indie hacking community is an incredible community that I'm a part of that I've been building an audience and a reputation in yeah. for decades, but. And we, we love having all these folks from that community using Transistor. It's incredible. But it's still a pretty small percentage of our customer base. Oh, Even though, you know, of like the podcasts for bootstrappers and indie hackers, we might be 80% of them, right? Like in that, in that small little niche, we actually we yeah, you
0: got that covered. Yeah,
1: we've got it <laughs> covered. Um, but it on its own, it wouldn't be enough to sustain the business. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, uh, you know, I, I see folks making that mistake too. Is they go, well, you know, I'm just going to go after this little watering hole, and 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 uh, and I'm just going to capture that whole thing, and then I'll have enough customers. It can work, but in something like uh, podcast hosting or even a lot of the services that people are starting, uh, indie hackers alone wouldn't be enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, AJ is with Card is a, you know, a huge member of the indie hacking community. A lot of people know about him. Uh, but of his, whatever, 5 million, 10 million websites, I, I'm pretty confident that like K pop, <laughs> there are more K pop websites on Card than Indie Hacker. Websites on car, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> I'm pretty so, sure about that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it, the size of the market. Um, although you know, there are uh, there's Kevin with Software Ideas, that newsletter he's running, uh, pretty much built completely uh, off the Indie Hacker audience, mm-hmm. and uh, he's done quite well with that. So there's you can build a nice little business in some of these niche. Uh, markets, niche groups. But for most businesses, especially if you want it to kind of last a long time and um not just rely on one group too much, you know? Yeah, that's right. Um have some resiliency in there. You can't just focus on one little niche.
0: hmm
1: mm-hmm.
0: So what do you do regularly to to develop your audience further? You've you've got now 5,000 customers or what, uh, mm-hmm. w- what do you do for them so that they stay with you, they keep, you keep them interested, you keep them at bay? Um, mm-hmm. do, you something, do you do something special or is it simply ongoing development of your platform?
3: So, I think almost with any product, the most important thing will be the momentum in the market. What do you mean by and- that? So
1: a good example of it is, well, so what I mean by it is how many people want to podcast Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and how many people want to keep podcasting. Mm -hmm. So those are really the two questions that are going to define Transistor's overall success. Regardless of how good of an audience builder I am, regardless of how good of a marketer I am, regardless of how good uh, at product John and I are. Uh, and I think, we're, I think we're really good at product, uh-huh. um, especially John. Like he, he is an incredible builder. But what's going to determine the overall trajectory of our business is how many people want to start a podcast and how many people want to continue podcasting.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: a lot of that is outside of our control. So at the beginning of the pandemic, in lockdown, yeah. um, April and May was incredible. For podcasting, almost every podcasting service uh, saw a big bump, um, and um, you know, microphones were selling out on Amazon. Uh, recording platforms like Squadcast were, you know, multiplying their revenues uh, by a lot,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, podcast hosting saw a bump as well. Um, we didn't like 10x our growth or anything, but we were like, it was a couple good it months.
0: Noticeable, yeah.
1: Yes. But now we're a year into the pandemic and I'm seeing a lot of the people who started a podcast a year ago, uh, cancel. Ah, interesting. So the, the, the momentum in the market. Um, now thankfully there's that there was this like one stream of momentum, which was pandemic people who are locked down, who are like, Oh, I should try podcasting or maybe I can podcast to make some money or I just lost my job. So now I'm going to try to make podcasting my career. Um, People were motivated for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Uh, But what we've seen is, excuse me, people were motivated for all sorts of reasons. But what we've seen is that uh, a lot of the folks who started a podcast in the pandemic have not been able to sustain it or have decided to stop. And, Uh, we, you know, there's only so much I can do to modify people's behavior. It's actually very little I can do. That's so true. (laughs) The, the, the motivation to start a podcast and to keep podcasting, I can do a little bit. I can share stories. I can lead by example. I can keep podcasting myself. I can throw out ideas. I can show people the equipment to
3: buy but if you know if it's if doing a clubhouse session is just as fun and just as rewarding
1: and just as and 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 satisfies the desire people had that previously podcasting occupied then there's not a lot I can do to fight that unless I pivot the product or whatever now, thankfully, I think <laughs> uh, social audio we're also seeing <laughs> was a short-lived wave. Uh, the interest was very, very high. And now I think Clubhouse's download numbers have plummeted like 80% or something like that. Oh, so
0: it's normalized.
1: <laughs> it's, it's normalized. Uh, and podcasting has always just grown, you know, 10% a year. And so um, we might just be going back down to just, Kind of regular slow growth, which is great Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, But, you know, there's all sorts of things that can happen in a market. Maybe people just get sick of audio, or it's discovered that listening to too much audio is bad for your brain. And so (laughs) a lot of people decide to stop doing it, right? Like there's all sorts of things that could happen that are outside of my control. And that's just part of the momentum in the market. So, at a base level, the most uh, effective thing you can do when you're choosing an audience, choosing a product, is to choose something that people are already searching for, people are already paying for, people are already using, and, uh, or at least a problem that they're already trying to solve in a different way. Mm-hmm. Or something that they're constantly thinking about, going back to that Death Wish newsletter, Uh, (laughs) you know, uh, you got to target something like that because it's the momentum that's already there that's going, going to carry you way more than your audience building ability, your marketing ability, your product prowess, you know, whatever you're bringing to the table matters, but it only matters in as much as the current is carrying you already. That's you're not going to create point. the current.
0: I love that metaphor. The current is carrying you. Yeah, I love that. So it's you kind of like canoeing. Uh,
1: like if if you're canoeing, are you a canoer? No, no. You've never been canoeing? Have you ever been kayaking or on a boat?
0: Yeah, I was once on a boat on a salt sea in, uh, in a salt um, lake in France. It was what <laughs> a little bit crazy, but it was only on vacation.
1: Was it a, a sailboat?
0: No, it was a, a rowing boat.
1: A rowing boat. They, they
0: gave us the boats to demonstrate their salt fields.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, I got it, got it. I mean, you, you see this especially if you're on a river or if you're on a sailboat, because sure, like you can be, if you're uh, a skilled sailor, you're going to be able to harness the wind uh-huh. better. You're going to know what to do when the wind shifts. You're going to know how to place your sails so that you get, uh, you know, the right amount of, uh, momentum. Yeah. But in a lake with no wind, you can be the best sailor in the world (laughs) and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. And so the wind is the important part. Uh, don't go sailing, uh, In a spot with no wind or on a day with no wind, you wait for the wind and then you go out and then your skills matter. And then the boat you have matters. And then your teammates matter. Uh, But unless there's something there, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You've got to have the momentum. You've got to have the current already going.
0: So, what what would you do to develop your audience further? You would look for different kind of wind, or uh, constantly looking where's the wind coming from, or what what, what's yeah. So it's kind
1: of everything. I mean, in oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So you you kind of go where's the yeah where's the wind blowing, and mm -hmm. you kind of just put up sails wherever you can. So as an example, I'm noticing uh, that we're getting uh, more traffic from YouTube videos lately. Mm-hmm. So I record a little podcast tutorial, upload it to YouTube and it might only get 500 views, but of those views, people, a lot of people are clicking on the link in the description to go to Transistor mm-hmm. and we're actually getting signups from it. So there's some wind there that I could maybe harness and the way I kind of move that forward is I just keep putting out videos I'm going to try to hire some people to make some videos. I'm going to partner with some people to make some videos. I'm just thinking about videos a lot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm thinking about keywords. You know, what are people searching for? Uh, what are some search results? You know, I think a lot about SEO as well. Uh, but what are some, what are some interesting opportunities in video SEO that I could, I could pursue, uh, where could I put up my sail and maybe catch some wind? Ah, interesting. So that's one place. Um, I think also everyone, a lot of this will depend on your personality, right? So uh, for me, a lot of it is just like doing lots of networking, doing lots of podcast interviews, uh, writing a lot, sharing a lot, Yeah. Uh, writing articles whenever I can. Uh, you know, there's a big Apple Apple did a big release and there's tons of bugs in Podcast Connect and in the new Apple Podcast app. So yeah, I wrote a big guide you writing about, it.
0: about it. Yeah.
1: And so then I'm just like, those are, that's like a wind. It's like, whoa, where did this come from? This wind came out of nowhere, but let's try to put up a sail and see if we can catch it. Yeah. And uh, it'd probably be short lived, but I want to, um, you know, jump on the opportunities when they come up and take advantage of them. People are searching for it. People need help and maybe we can offer some help and, uh, you know, uh, get some customers from it. Yeah. And, and even just helping people is a good, is a good strategy. So we do live chat on transistor. Uh, we're basically available 24 hours a day and, uh, people show up and we just try to help them. And Mm -hmm. a lot of them aren't customers, but we're just trying to be helpful whenever we can uh, and have a real person answer within an hour, um, uh, even faster if we can. So, uh, I think being helpful has been, he- is another way that we attract folks. Uh, and the personal audience still does resonate. You know, I, I do get people signing up saying, Hey, i read your newsletter for a long time and, uh, just really identify with you and your, you know, your beliefs and the way you do things. And so I just wanted to support yeah, you.
0: The whole thing. Uh, I, I recently heard about the concept of a whole product. The product that you sell and that you, that you have online is not your real product. The real mm. product is everything, including your person, your reputation, your connections, everything.
1: Yes, your values, which does, yeah. make, it, does make it a bit more messy. It's, it's, that's a hard, sometimes living in that space is difficult, yeah, this is like one. One of the downsides people don't talk about with having an audience. Well, there's people don't talk about the downsides of having an audience. There are downsides, and the downside is you're living in public.
2: That's and right. People a lot start of looking on you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of you know. It's like, you know, you can hate on IBM, but like, do you know the the CEO of IBM?
0: No, I I, I can't think of
1: who it is either. I don't know who it is. So, you know, people might be angry at IBM or whatever, can say mean things about IBM, can misinterpret IBM, but the CEO, nobody really knows who he is or she is. That's right. That's right. It's like, I have no idea. So the One of the downsides, especially with personal audiences and having a personal brand and a personal presence that then connects to your company, is that, you know, it there's it's just there's going to be it's it's a lot more challenging to navigate. You've got to be you've got to be up to the challenge of, you know, sometimes you'll say something that you shouldn't have and then you have to figure out how to own up to it. That's right. Um, You can also just attract, you know, again, like the internet is full of folks who are in all sorts of stages of their life. There's somebody listening to this right now that maybe just lost their job and they're really upset. And they might be interpreting what we're saying right now a lot differently than somebody who, you know, everything's going great for, right? That's so true. there might be somebody listening to this who just had a baby and they've been up, you know, 10 nights in a row with no sleep. And, you know, the way that they interpret what we're talking about and, uh, you know, their mood will probably be drastically different than, you know, uh, somebody who's at a different stage of their life. And we all come from different backgrounds. We come from different cultures. uh, even, (laughs) Even navigating... Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities between Canada and Germany, but there's, there are some differences too. Like sometimes I'm talking, I'm speaking with my German friends and we misunderstand each other, (laughs) right? Yeah. And it's, it's like the cultures are so similar. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of, you know, in Canada, we have, we had a lot of German settlers. There's a lot that. But oh, I
0: didn't know that.
1: Interesting. Yeah, for sure. But there's still a lot of uh, ways we can misunderstand each other.
0: Yeah, because of the, the, the upbringing and the socialization
1: and, and the, the myths and stories even, you grew even up Even like for, for a German person to request um, you know, specific things on their invoice makes perfect sense to them. And it would, and it would be, it's almost like, why can't these North American companies just get our invoices, right? But for a North American business person, it's completely alien. Why, why would you need all these things? And it's, (laughs) and even that can, can, um, create emotion. And, you know, I've had people who are upset at us for, you know, whatever. And, I've had, I've, there's been misunderstandings and, um, and, you know, for my personal newsletter and my personal podcast and my personal tweets, you know, sometimes people get really upset at me. Hmm. Um, I've had people who are, you know, um, really depressed contact me and, you know, sometimes they need help that I can't give them. Sometimes they're being abusive and, you know, I just have to deal with it. Uh, And I have a relatively small audience in this big scheme of things. You know, I just Mm -hmm. cut my personal Mm -hmm. newsletter down to like 6,000 subscribers. I have under 30,000 followers on Twitter. And increasingly, I'm feeling like I don't really want it to get that big. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you've ever had a tweet go viral, You like as soon as your a tweet gets outside of your normal social circle online, yeah, and you experience just the the mess and the difficulty. Like the uh, there's so many different ways what you say can be misinterpreted or. (laughs) Uh, uh, seen the wrong way or taken out of context or, you know, or even just like none of those things, but just people, what was, you know, what everybody in the tech community might've enjoyed uh, is like laughable or, or easy for be- people to be cynical
3: about outside of that, of that circle. And uh Some of this mess
1: I've just embraced because I do want to be challenged on my views. I do want to break out out of my bubble and uh, get a diversity of experiences and have a diversity of relationships with a diverse group of people. But, you know, until you have a sizable audience and for me it happened around 10,000 email subscribers and 10,000 Twitter followers once you get there you start to get some of the negatives of yeah. and i think it's actually that 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 threshold is even lower for especially women and minorities people who aren't white dudes they experience hate and all sorts of awful stuff at much lower thresholds you know you could have 500 followers on twitter and get a lot of hate um, and really awful, uh. But, you know,
0: but what would be nothing. the alternative, keeping more neutral or uh, being not so personal outside, uh, personally visible? Or what would you do? I, I think uh, you love being uh, personal with your audience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's not an alternative to say, oh, no, I'm now I'm, I'll am i behave like the CEO of IBM. I, I uh, get into my closet and disappear.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you
2: wouldn't I do mean, that.
1: I think it is okay for people to disappear if they want to. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't know. Part of me doesn't have the answer. Uh-huh. This is a new thing. It used to be only celebrities had to deal with this. Yeah. And um, the advantage for celebrities is that they were in their own social group. Like they had their own parties and their own, you know, neighborhoods and That's their own, right. their own kind of system. life. And they also yeah. had the financial means. They had. Yeah. Financial means to have security, to have PR people, you know. Uh the the challenge now is that normal people are attracting pretty big audiences. Mm-hmm. And but they 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 don't have the same um you know, they don't have security like like if you're a uh Instagram influencer, uh, you might have millions of followers, but have no money, but you still might be attracting tons of death threats and really creepy DMs <laughs> and need security, Yeah, but you don't have the money for it. This is a brand new uh, era interesting we're phenomenon.
0: in. I, my, my service is called Get the Audience. Maybe I should have another service called um, How to Endure Your Audience or <laughs> <laughs> whatever, right?
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think part of the answer is just having a enough, like everyone wants to grow the biggest audience possible. And I think it's okay to, yeah, definitely there's a threshold you cross. Uh, like when you're Tim Ferriss famous. Yeah, yeah. And he actually has a great blog post about all of the downsides of being Tim Ferriss famous. Oh. You know, death threats and some really challenging stuff that I would not, wish upon myself at all. Um, yeah, I think part of it is being okay with having a smaller audience, Yeah, not needing definitely. to have such a big audience. And
3: I think we are going to need help. We're going to need help from psychologists, sociologists,
1: uh, from services, PR services, and security services, and like, this is a, a brand new era that we're in. Yeah. And... Where even um, As you
0: say it everywhere, even normal people encounter these things, right?
1: Yeah. That's true. And I, I mean, I'm somewhat fortunate also that I don't live in a big city. So I'm, it's hard to find me in real life. Uh-huh. But, you know, I've gotten a few messages and I'm like, oh, like... I. <laughs> I really hope this person never comes to my town. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it's, it's just, there's this threat there that I think people don't always consider. And as soon as you have any sort of limelight, it, it becomes a possibility. So the, there's no easy answers. And I think anyone who's thinking about building an audience, building an audience has been incredible for me. Like there's Mm -hmm. been so many advantages and There's lots of it that are really great. But there is also downsides that, especially personal audiences and having a personal brand and a personal blog and your name on everything and a, a personal Twitter handle that you use for tweeting things out all the time. As soon as you're doing that, now that normal people have the ability, even if you had 100 followers, your tweet could be, retweeted to a million people that's right that's right that possibility
3: carries with it some risk that we need to be aware of and um it we've created spaces
1: online that sometimes feel like nice close safe knit tight knit groups right like oh the indie hacker community we're all supportive of each other and we you know i and we we develop parasocial relationships with each other right like oh i listen to matthias's podcast all the time i feel like i know him but the truth is you don't
3: personally know most of your audience right they've they've developed That's a right. parasocial That's relationship right. with you and um it's we need to develop some new social technology some new social philosophy for how to deal with this new reality
0: this would this would be my next uh would have been my next statement i think the the solution is to to reach within yourself and and get uh, the security and the safety within from within right for example i i uh, used to meditate in the morning Mm -hmm. i do some yoga um this gives me the strength that i need uh to get through the day right it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's um, a kind of like an energy reservoir that i uh, can access and when the 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 world becomes too crazy for me i, I simply think okay that's one way to live in the universe Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah for example when i started get the audience after i think 200 followers or so no not even after 100 or so i got my first hater Mm. and that was totally new to me Mm -hmm. Um, and um, i i first tried to find out what he wants and try to interact with him but i quickly saw no this person is not the one you can really interact with Mm-hmm. And then I sat down and I thought, yeah, okay, he's creating a certain kind of universe for himself. So hmm, it's not mine. <laughs> it's a different universe. So I simply accepted yes. it in a, in a kind of way. And yeah, finally, I had to block him. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes. And it's manageable at that stage. Because really, I'm at that stage too, like, you know, let's say even it. One hater a month would probably be pretty high for me, but those, those tables can turn pretty fast and
3: we are interacting in, in an environment that is still very new. And,
1: um, I, I think I've seen friends of mine have to deal with not just one hater a month, but in an hour, suddenly a uh, switch gets flipped. Um, maybe they made a mistake. Maybe, you know, somebody else accused them of something. Maybe Who knows what it is? And instantly the tables have turned. And we, yeah, I mean, yeah. we saw this with Basecamp, you know, this this much beloved company who had built this audience forever. Absolutely. And then, now in that case, I think, <laughs> I think, for at least from the outside and uh, this is, I I've been friendly with David and Jason. Um, I wouldn't say they they were friends, but you know, I've been friendly with them. They've been yeah. advisors for transistor. It was pretty clear that they'd made a mistake and that they didn't deal with it very well. And you know, when you have 20 of your longest employees quit, then that's, probably an indicator that something's gone wrong. Yeah. But <laughs>
3: and I mean they always had haters, but the you, you can see that um, whether it's deserved or
1: not deserved, and that both happen sometimes <laughs> sometimes you're getting a lot of hate because it's deserved or at least you're somewhat culpable. And sometimes you're not, um, and the getting that much inbound is much more difficult to deal with, and it's a risk. It's just a risk. Like we all just hope that we, you know, we we're doing the best we can, and we're being, uh, you know, as sensitive as we can, and trying to care for people as much as we can. Yeah. Um. Trying to be empathetic, trying to understand. But when I'm getting, you know, replies to my tweets, if I get one hate comment, I can like go to that person's profile, scroll back, look what's going on in their life. I can, you know, I can get some context. But if I'm getting a thousands of those,
0: yeah, you can't do that. That doesn't scale. No, (laughs) I have
1: no idea, and you have no idea what's going on in their life.
0: No.
3: You don't know if, you know, you don't know what you've awoken
1: in yeah. people.
0: Yeah,
3: And so
1: I think there is an opportunity for way more training on this. I think this is just the new reality.
3: How do we occupy common social space with millions of people Who are incredibly diverse
1: and come from all sorts of backgrounds, who have had all sorts of experiences, who um, are in all sorts of contexts, who are at different stages, just even emotionally, in a moment, psychologically, in a moment.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: How can we all occupy the same space
3: together? This is a brand new experiment that we've never run before as humans. And there's there's an opportunity there for a lot more
1: thinking, a lot more philosophy, a lot more training, and because we need to figure it out. Because sometimes people are going to call me out and they're right, and I need to listen. But... Sometimes it's difficult to know who's uh <laughs> who can I trust? Who can I who should I be taking feedback from? Who shouldn't yeah, I?
0: Yeah.
1: Um and there's there's when they're in your town, it's a lot easier to do that. Um but when they're online and all you can see is a little tiny hundred and forty pixel wide yeah. photo, what can it's you It's a say lot more difficult. That? Yeah. So it's it's an interesting time. And um, again, on the plus side, it's incredible
3: that a Canadian who was grew up in a small little farm town in Alberta could reach this many
1: people. That's unbelievable.
0: That's right. That's right. And a, that's the uh, attractive thing. Uh, I think these times they are so so incredible incredibly full of opportunity for the good and the bad. So mm-hmm. uh let's yes. create let's create kind of parallel universes uh and that may intersect. Um I, I think mm-hmm. even Twitter, right? If, and Twitter is not the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is creating its own his his or their own Twitter. Yes. Um, so
1: and some and some of that is also dependent on who you are. Like you can just Be a different gender and all of a sudden twitter is a completely different experience for you yeah um and it may it makes it so tricky because my experience of twitter is as a white dude yeah
3: (laughs) and that's the only experience i have and uh if i you just change one variable
1: if i was a woman how does my experience of Twitter change? And from what I can tell, from speaking to women and listening to them, it changes a lot. <laughs>
3: <It> <laughs> all of a sudden, so. yeah, I, people I are more very more concerned about, about your
1: appearance. You get yeah. a lot of like really gross um, sexual DMs. You get like there's your experience of Twitter changes just you just change one variable. Yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden it's different. And. <laughs> This is, this is uh, and a lot of advice on building audiences comes from white dudes. I think And especially so. white so. tech dudes. Yeah. And it's okay to be a white tech dude, but we're missing.
0: Also from the marketing dudes, right? The, the, yes. Uh, the the, the yeah. build your audience marketing dudes. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it, it's, it's okay to be that person, but we have to understand that like we're actually the minority in the world and people's experience building an audience on these platforms is very different depending on where they were born, their context, their gender, (laughs) like the, the, the lot they were, they were given in life. So that needs to be part of the discussion for building audiences It can't just always be, you know, grow your audience from the perspective of a white dude uh, because a lot changes as soon as you change some of those variables. And the, the,
3: the fundamental thing is going to, should be empathy. So I, I don't know what it's like
1: to not be a white dude on Twitter, but I can at least empathize and try to imagine and try to listen to folks who have a different experience than me and internalize that. And then also... Um, (laughs) you know, if someone says something rude to me on Twitter, instead of just shooting back and going, well, you know, screw you too, or whatever, (laughs) uh, to take a breath and go, okay,
3: number one, I'm really in the most privileged group on Twitter, you know, like
1: (laughs) it doesn't get any more privileged than this. Yeah. right. Right. And so let's just, let's start there. Number two, this person's experience is definitely different than mine. They're a different person in a different context and I need to understand that. And um, maybe if I can empathize with their position, seek to understand, um, my response can be better. The problem is that some of the tech of Twitter has just, it's been such a magnifier and an amplifier that sometimes you just can't do that. When if you're getting a thousand or a hundred or even dozens of responses, you can't. You don't have the bandwidth to um, to
0: process it all.
1: To really slow down. Yeah. So some of the answers are going to need to be technical. Some of the answers, again, like this is part of the work that needs to be done. And I think for you, there's actually a lot of opportunities here for to help people figure this part out. because there's a lot to figure out here. There's ways of modifying Twitter even to make it more mindful, to make it more uh, a a kinder, gentler place. Mm-hmm. There's ways of including more voices in the discussion. You know, like um, it's fine to have a white dude like me on your podcast, but you can also have other guests that aren't people like me, right? Yeah. And getting their perspectives. There's all sorts of actions we can take that I think uh, will help. And it feels like we're right at the beginning of all of this. So we've got this incredible opportunity, this incredible uh, stage where we can build audiences and they can we can build meaningful businesses by connecting with thousands of people online that we would have never met otherwise. Uh, but what hasn't had a lot of attention spent on it is the flip side, the underside, the underbelly of all of this um which is you know all the things we've just been discussing there's yeah, yeah. a lot to do a lot of work to do there for sure wow
0: thank you justin it has been an amazing ride <laughs> 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 from the dashwith to the problems of modern society <laughs> and modern social networks <laughs> that's right it has been amazing i love that thank you so much and yeah. uh, Keep up your good work, right?
1: Well, well, thanks. It was it was fun to have an opportunity to discuss this.
0: Thanks for listening to the Audience Explorer podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at GetTheAudience and you can check out the blog at GetTheAudience.com. If you have any questions about this episode, reach out to me on Twitter or send an email to Matthias at gettheaudience.com. If you want to support this podcast, please leave a rating in your favorite podcast player app. This will help other founders or creators to find this podcast about developing an audience for their product or service. Thank you very much for listening and see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.